Thank you, and good morning. You did much better than the nine o'clock service does when you say that. <laughs> so we're continuing a series on the language of blessing. We've got plenty of material because the word blessing or blessed appears nearly 400 times in the Bible, most of which is in the New Testament. Uh, we've got blessings of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and blessings for children and grandchildren, blessings for a nation, blessings for a nation that blesses a nation. The list goes on and on. Um, so there's plenty of blessings. But today we're going to hone in on a specific type of blessing, and that's the blessing of marriage or the blessings of marriage. I want to take you back a bit take you back 50 years and 23 days ago, to be specific. It was a nice day in Chicago, very sunny. Uh, I thought it was 60 degrees. It was in the 30s, according to the Internet. But it seemed really warm, really nice. And they dressed me up in a penguin suit, complete with cummerbund, white tie to distinguish me from the men with black ties, because I was the groom. I was at my home getting dressed, and my brother said two things. He said, you better give me Bonnie's ring because I don't want you to forget it. Made sense. He was my best man. And the second thing he said was when I said, well, we better hurry. We'll be late. He said, don't worry. They won't start without you. <laughs> so we're relaxed. But the 200 guests who were there didn't relax. The preacher, by his demeanor, when we finally showed up a half an hour late, was not happy at all. And my bride wondered if I had cold feet. I didn't. I showed up. I caught my breath. I walked out. And for the one and only time in my life, when I saw her coming down the aisle in a beautiful gown, my knees shook. Never happened before, hasn't happened since, but I thought, wow, this is a big, big, big deal. I have no idea what the preacher said except what's here in your bulletin. I asked that he read that. And I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll use this as a springboard. My, my text will be everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But select verses using this as a springboard. O God of love, you've established marriage for the welfare and happiness of mankind. Yours was the plan, and only with you can we work it out with joy. You have said, it is not good for man to live alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now our joys are doubled, since the happiness of one is the happiness of the other. Our burdens are now halved. When we share them, we divide the load. Bless this husband. Bless him as provider of nourishment and raiment. Sustain him in all of the exactions and pressures in his battle for bread. May his strength be her protection, her protection, his character her boast and pride. And may he so live as to find she will find in him a haven for which 
the heart of a woman truly longs. Bless this wife. Give her tenderness that will make her great, a deep sense of understanding and great faith in you. Give her that inner beauty of the soul that never fades, that eternal youth that is found in holding fast to the things that never age. Teach them that marriage is not merely for each other. It is two, uniting and joining hands to serve you. Give them great spiritual purpose in life. May they seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be added unto them. May they not expect perfection that each of you, that of each other that belongs only to you. May they minimize each other's weaknesses. Be swift to praise and magnify each other's points of comeliness and strength, and see each other through a lover's kind and patient eyes. Now make assignments to them on the scroll of your will is to bless them and to develop their characters as they walk together. Give them enough tears to keep them tender, enough hurts to keep them humane, enough of failure to keep their hands clenched tightly in yours, and enough of success to make them sure that they walk with God. May they never take each other's love for granted but always experience that breathless wonder that exclaims, out of all this world, you have chosen me. Then when life is done and the sun is setting, may they be found then as now hand in hand, still thanking God for each other. May they serve happily and faithfully together until at once one shall lay the hand of the other into the arms of God. This we ask through Jesus Christ, great lover of our souls. Amen. It was six months ago that that girl for whose wedding the groom was a half an hour late, it was six months ago I laid her into the arms of God. So the word of God says... Not good for man to live alone. And by the time we finished the service, and the ring that my best man said, I better take it so you don't forget it, on the way to the church, he confessed, I forgot the ring. <laughs> it's sitting on your dresser. So we got to church. My sister-in-law, whose daughter was the, the, the flower girl, said, don't worry, I'll let you use my ring for the ceremony. Then I'll go get Bonnie's ring and be back in time for the receiving line. It's the only option that I've had. So she let her daughter go up the aisle, and then she took off in Chicago and got the ring. So when it came to the point of the service and Bonnie looked down, she thought, <laughs> they don't match. <laughs> we walked down the aisle. My sister-in-law met us. They switched rings, so nobody except the people who were here at, at 5 o'clock last night 
or 9 o'clock this morning, and you folks knew the dark secret of the Oldberg family. So we left the church, and we went to our respective homes. Eh, not romantic, but that's what we did. And she got out of her wedding gown, and she put on a black suit with black or, or white dots. I came with a dark blue suit. We looked like we had just gone to a funeral, not to a wedding. <laughs> but that's how we showed up. And then she went into the restroom, and she put on a beautiful, beautiful white nightgown, complete with a white sheer robe. And I met her wearing this. <laughs> and she tells me it was tied up like this. I had matching pajamas, and this still fits. Isn't that amazing? Pajamas, not so much, but robes, yeah, yeah. And then at mutual agreement, we thought, you know, we need to start this marriage right. And thanks to the Gideons, there was a Bible there. So I pulled out the Bible, and I read... I don't remember what I read. My guess it was of Psalm 117 because that's the shortest psalm in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe Jesus wept also. I'm not sure. But, and then we prayed as we did for the next 50 years. Every night we would pray. Sometimes more than once a day. We tried to have devotions but we had eight children. The age gap between the youngest and the oldest is a generation. It's 21 years. Try giving devotions to a two-year-old and a 23-year-old that would be relevant for anybody. So we, like some of you that have tried devotions, and you sometimes kick yourself, saying, oh man, I'm so lousy, I do this and I don't do this right. Give yourself a break. Sometimes leading family worship is tough. Keep trying. Give yourself, relax a little bit in that. So we had family devotions, yes. We prayed every single night for 50 years. So the examples of marriage, again, this is a springboard. This is not our text, but it's a springboard for our, for our study this morning. And that God established marriage, that's a blessing. Genesis 2, 18 and 24. Genesis 2 says, It is not good for man to live alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then it says, It's not good for man to live alone. So, making a helper suitable for him? How is one suitable? Now, if you're married already, she's suitable. No more questions. He's suitable. He may be a little more pudgy than he used to be, but he's suitable. Stick with him, okay? Those of you who aren't, you can see Pastor Timmy. He'll give you an MMPI, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. He'll give you the Trinity Johnson Personality Whoop! Easy for you to say. You'll take this young girl to meet your parents. You'll show her off to your friends. And she'll say, you can't believe this guy that I found. 
You spend time with one another. You date one another. You go to a movie. You discuss the movie. You discuss things over a restaurant table. But you get to know one another because someone is suitable. You leave your father and mother, verse 24, chapter 2. And you cleave to your wife. That word for cleave is, is a word that means to glue together. And then when that glue hardens, if one gets hurt, the other gets hurt as well. They're unified. Cleave to your The first, I think it was four or five years of our marriage, we lived anywhere from 50 to 500 miles away from either sets of parents. It was a good time. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I meant it was good that we couldn't go to the parents and say, you can't believe what this idiot did. No, we had, it was before you could instant message and say what he did. You see, you learn to get to know one another. It was, I think, eight years before we had our first child. We ended up with eight of them and 14 grandchildren. Some of you are in blended situations. You've got an extra challenge to step into a marriage with a couple of kids, three or four or one or two. It doesn't make any difference. It's a lot easier to start this and get to know one another just with two people. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says that a man should not go into military service for a year, but he is to bless his bride. Now, I only know one person, and her son is here, who had a three-month honeymoon to Norway. We had Iola's funeral last Saturday, eight days ago. She and George went to Europe for three months. It didn't come close to, to a year, but it's a lot longer than driving to Florida for three days, spending two days in Florida, driving back for three days, and then starting work. We do things a little bit differently than the Word of God says sometimes. And they are one flesh. They're glued together. So it goes on to say husband. He's supposed to provide for his daughter, for his wife, pardon me, to work. The word of God says that God told Adam to tend the garden and to name all the animals. He had work to do. This was before the fall. This was before sin. He had a job to do. And then chapter 3, the fall comes. And the word of God says that thorns and thistles came. And a man would earn by the sweat of his brow. Gentlemen, you're earning by the sweat of your brow. Now you may have some cushy executive job, but it took a while to get to that cushy executive job. And sometimes all the time, there are things in that job that you just don't like. Sometimes it's 5% of the job. Sometimes it's 95% of the job. And it's cutting back on employees. It's trying to make a budget work. Sometimes it's getting on that train and going two hours to the city of Chicago to work. Sometimes you're 
swimming with sharks in the sales world. Sometimes you've had to go to college, you had to go to grad school, you had to went to medical school, and then you go through residency and you learn how to work for 48 hours straight with no sleep because of the fall, because of the sweat of your brow. There's security and trust that comes in that. Integrity. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Judah became unfaithful and did a detestable thing and commanded Israel and Jerusalem. Judah desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord that he loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. I'm sorry, that's the next point. No, we're good, we're good, we're good. For man does not do this. Whoever may be, the Lord will remove him from his tents. First Peter, chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as a weaker partner. Heirs with you the gracious gift so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Your prayer life is dependent on your marital life. Work honestly, be sexually faithful, walk with God, treat your wife with respect providing that kind of security that she needs. Third, a wife. I won't say much here, but I will read a lot. Psalm 31, verses 10 through 14. Pardon me, through 31. One of the best gifts I gave to my wife in 50 years was about 10 years ago. I said... Why don't you sit down? So she sat at the edge of the bed. I knelt in front of her. And I recited by memory Psalm 31. John told me the other day that on Shabbat, every Friday night, the husband is to read this passage to his wife. Judging by the tears that were in Bonnie's eyes when I gave it to her by memory, and I can't give it to you by memory, it was a very precious gift. Guys, you've got a year to learn it. <laughs> Memorize it. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's of worth more, ru more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her, and she lacks nothing of value. She's a woman of character. She's a person of, dil of diligence. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like merchant ships, bringing food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family she, and portions for her female servants. And ladies, if you say, you know, I'm lacking in some of these things, don't worry. 50 years of marriage, Bonnie never functioned until at 10 a.m., a couple of cups of coffee. Don't talk to me until 10 a.m. Because I don't talk. I don't. Didn't do a good job with that one. But everything else, she did great. She's diligent, verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. 
out of the earnings, she plants a vineyard. Remember, this is written 3,000 years ago, a different society, but she's acting as a businesswoman, isn't she? She eats, pardon me, she sets out her work with vigor, with, uh, vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that the trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds a distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She's trusting. Verse 20. She doesn't worry about the future. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes a seat among the elders of the land. She is diligent, not only at home, but in business. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with the sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction with her tongue. She looks over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband praises her also. And finally, she is honored by others. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeing. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all she has done. And let her works bring her praise in the city gate. Same word as is used for her husband being in a place of honor at the city gate with the elders. She is honored by her life. Fourth, spiritual purpose as one walks together with God. The blessings of walking together. Ezra, chapter 9. They have taken some of their daughters and wives for themselves. And their sons have mingled the holy race with the people around them. And the leaders and the officials have led in unfaithfulness. Have led in unfaithfulness. Second Corinthians tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what does righteousness have to do with unrighteousness? Malachi says the same type of thing. The play, the movie, Fiddler on the Roof, one of the most difficult parts of that movie for me to watch is when Tevi is dealing with three of his five daughters. And the one, Zaitel, comes up, and there's been an arranged marriage already, but she doesn't want to marry the rich butcher. She wants to marry a poor tailor. And Tevi gives... His permission. And then he figures out a way of telling his wife. Hotto says, I want your blessing. We don't want your permission, but we do want your blessings as she's marrying a revolutionary and he's going to depart soon. 
and leave her alone and send for him later. And he says, eventually, you have my blessing and my permission, he says. And then Javier comes. She's already gotten married. A Jewish girl marrying a Russian Orthodox boy. And he's torn apart. She wants his acceptance. Will you accept them? Accept them? How can I deny everything I believe? On the other hand, how can I deny my own daughter? On the other, on the other hand, how can I depend, de deny my faith and my people? How can I turn my back on my faith? I can bend so far and I'll break. On the other hand, no, there is no other hand. And he turns his back on his daughter. She's dead to me. Touching, gripping, gripping, gripping thing. But a true follower, that marriage, I've seen people that have been married for 25 years and violated this and no change, no change in the husband, no change in the wife, and it's been 25 years of misery. I've seen 12 years of misery with a girl who loves the Lord Jesus, who thought she was marrying someone who was following Christ, but he really wasn't. It was something that he did, acted right. He acts right in front of all the elders of the church. And the home family, it doesn't work. But the joy of a change. We had a meeting yesterday that I wasn't able to attend, but I understand there was the joy of a change. A man who had been going to this church for 25 years, listening to everything, and, whew, and finally came to faith in Christ and what that has done for their marriage. God redeems these situations. So if you're married to a man who is an unbeliever or, or gentleman, you know, love the Lord, and, and you've got this wife who just has no use for it, God can, can work that as well. He will. He will. This cup. will come later. <laughs> now it was a, a walk during vacation. And Bonnie and I were walking along the sidewalk and I heard something in the background after we, some people passed us and they said, isn't that cute? Well, I'm not real sharp. I said, Bonnie, what does that mean? She said, we're old and we're holding hands. Isn't that cute? Well, that's the joy of walking together with God. Forgiving, not expecting perfection. If you're married, you know what Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of a spouse too. 
Blessings of forgiveness. Revelation chapter 2. It's written to a church, but it applies to us. Yet I have this against you. Chapter 2, verse 4. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Remember those things? Remember what those things were? When you would open a car door? Gentlemen, she's no stronger today than she was when you opened it for her. When you go out in the parking lot, open the car door for her, for goodness sake, and walk around, it'll take you an extra 15 seconds. That smile, that touch, the flowers, the prayer that you had together, that date, spending time with one another, knowing one another even more. Repent from having not done that, and it's interesting, that's the exact same word that is used when you repent and come to Christ. Identical word. No, no differences at all. Repent, turn, change your mind, and change your actions. And then renew. Now we can never start over, ever. But we can start again. We can start again. Now the cup. Forgiveness. That cup, that mug has been washed several times, so thus it's faded a bit. But this was from a trip to Hawaii probably six, seven years ago. What she's holding is called shave ice. They make a big deal out of shave ice. Who likes shave ice? All right, the whole row. <laughs> it's not shaved ice. It's not an ice, it's not a uh, uh, flavored ice kind of thing. It's shave ice. Get it right. Shave ice. And if you send an extra dollar, there's ice cream in it. And if you spend an extra 50 cents, there's some cream on top. Took this picture, made a cup, enjoyed it, had lots of cups of coffee with it. The inside will show you that. And then two years ago, we went to Hawaii again. And we had dropped off my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law at the airport and came back and there was an absolutely fantastic sunset that was coming. And I've got to get a picture of this one, along with the other 73,000 pictures that I had already taken. But this one was phenomenal. So I've got to get a parking spot. And there wasn't any. So I drive around the block, and there wasn't any. And I'm starting to get a little bit agitated. And I got some advice from my wife, and that didn't help. And uh, I was getting more and more angry. And we were going to get some ice cream. And there was no parking place near the ice cream place. Now the sun is down. The, the, the whole moment is ruined. And so she said, well, let's go get some shave ice. So we went back to the same place, got some shave ice. And I said, I don't even like shave ice. That's how grumpy I was. So on the way back to the condo, I said, Bonnie, I was such a jerk. Will you please forgive me? And her response 
My, one of my kids can imitate her very well. Oh, Mel. Which being translated in Southern is, come on, somebody from the South. Bless his heart. Bless, it means you are an idiot. Oh, Mel. I forgave you a long time ago when I went. When I decided I was going to throw this mug away because it reminded me of what, how badly I treated her. To be able to forgive during times when your spouse is not the person that you thought you married. The blessings of forgiveness. The blessings of walking with God in an, with an unknown future. Forrest Gump says... "Oh." Uh, we're in Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. Forrest Gump says, Life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. So, Ecclesiastes 7.14 says the same thing. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about the future. Times are good. Deuteronomy says, the Lord gave you the ability to gain wealth. Life is good. First Timothy says, those of you who are rich in this present world, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But don't just enjoy it. Do good with it. Bless other people with it. And God, it says, will reward you. Times are bad. Joseph knew bad times. You go from chapter 37 to chapter 50. I'm not going to read it. There's a kickoff in about two hours. <laughs> he goes from being hated by his siblings to being sold to going, ending up in, in a... a person's house as a main servant getting falsely accused, going to jail getting forgotten in jail eventually they remember, bring him in the position of leadership the nation of Israel is eventually saved and thus the Messiah comes through the line times are bad times are good but times are also uncertain God made the one as well as the other therefore no one can discover anything about their future. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God doesn't tell us the future? I got a Christmas card. Nice, okay, Christmas card. And on the back it said, Happy New Year, even though Trump was elected. Some of you feel the way she did. Others of you watched with great joy the prayer service yesterday for the inauguration and said, you know, this, there is hope for this nation. We may have people on both ends of that spectrum. We don't know the future. Will the Dow remain at 20,000 by the end of the year? Going to 25, says Jeff. Now, there's got to be some gold buffs who are going to say it's going to 15,000 around here. We don't know. 
20 years in the securities business, I didn't know. Will Russia be our friend or our foe? Will we be promoted or unemployed? Will a child be a missionary or a drug addict? I have both. Will you be healthy or will you get cancer? We don't know. But Job says, though he slay me, still I will trust him. We are chosen. The blessings of being chosen. According to Siri, there are 7.3 billion people on this planet. How in the world could Bonnie choose me with such great odds? So I checked, and I understand why, because in 1966, there were only 3.1 billion. <laughs> so my odds were a lot better. Isaac was, or the, the servant was told to go find a wife for Isaac, but don't choose one out of the Canaanites. You've got to have one for our own, like our own people. And I think that was because of cultural understanding, more than it was a religious understanding for the, in this situation. I had an aunt, Tanta Celia. Tanta Cecilia told me when I was 16 years old that beauty is only skin deep. I was very wise, much wiser when I was 16 than I am today, I'll tell you. And so I explained to her that it was deep enough for me, we're all good. Now, had I known my Bible like I know my Bible today, hopefully not as well as I know it tomorrow or next week, I would have been able to point her to Scripture, to Jacob. And he said, or it was said of him, Leah has weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. I could have said, Bonnie's got a great... No. Bonnie has a lovely figure and is beautiful. So you check the Hebrew. You do all your study. And it says, Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And you go to the Greek text of the Old Testament, and it says she had a lovely figure and she was beautiful. I am just as spiritual as Jacob, guys, and so are you. She had a lovely figure and she was beautiful. Bonnie was a lot more spiritual than I was. She was in fact, she didn't even know the Lord at that time, but she was trying to follow God in her way. And she came to know Jesus Christ really in a full way, depending only on his shed blood when she was in her 40s. Neither of us really knew that until she really grappled with, by grace you are saved through faith and not any of the wonderful works you do. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But when she was in her 20s, she prayed a simple prayer. She said, Lord, I'm 21 years old. I've finished Bible college. I've got this wonderful job at the church. I think I'm ready to get married. Within days, I was home from college and Christmas on some break. Outside the church, somebody called my name. 
And I'd answered whatever it was. And she glanced at me and she, had a, she said, I had a fleeting thought. What if I were to marry him? Never, ever put anything together with her prayer and that fleeting thought. And it wasn't until months later, probably after we were married, she began to put these pieces together. We'd known one another when we were eight years old. Started dating when we were 21. God put it together. It also says in Genesis 29, verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel. He said, I'll work for you in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. And so Jacob served for seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that seven turned into 14 years, but it seemed like a small price to pay. When Bonnie and I were dating, she got ill, and she was bedridden for about two months. I sent her a dozen roses, not because I was smart, but because I had a mother who said, you should send Bonnie some roses. <laughs> so who's the most expensive florist? As far as I was concerned, I don't know if they were or not, but Amling seemed like a good choice in Chicago. I dropped $50 on a dozen roses in 1965. I was making $100 a week, and I spent 50 I can't part with $50 today, much less then. It seemed like nothing because I had some love. A few months later, I found myself in a jewelry store. I was still making $100 a week, and I spent $300 on a ring. $100 a week, $300 for a ring. Guys, some of you are good at math. In today's dollars, what, that, what would that ring have cost you? So about 15 years later, she lost the diamond. So I went to a jeweler friend of mine, and I said, I need to replace my wife's diamond. And she said, oh, let me see it. And she said, yeah, it'll be about $300. I said, what? I spent $300 in the whole wedding set, and you're going to charge me $300 for one stone? And she said, you spent 15 years with this lady. you got four kids. Buy the diamond. <laughs> I bought the diamond. I bought the diamond. Finally, the blessings of life together. February 14, 1967. Bonnie and I had been married for a month and a half. I had been called into active duty for the Army. I was to spend six, six months learning how to be a soldier, play soldier, whatever I was. And so I went to a store, a place where I worked, and I bought this. And I said to one of the employees... I want you to deliver this to Bonnie on Valentine's Day with the following note. This is us in 50 years. Now, there's a great resemblance here. <laughs> Not so much here. She never got 
like that. 50 years. We didn't make it. October 29, 2015. Not Chicago, but Mercy Center, half a mile from here. Taken to emergency. She'd been having a lot of pain for a long time. And the doctor finally broke the news that I could not say that she had cancer. I called my kids, and I couldn't say it. I handed the phone to Bonnie. She explained what was going on. December 10th, 2015. Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. They said, do you want to know? We paused. And everyone that was there, it was Bonnie and myself and my oldest daughter by phone, said, yes, we'd like to know. She has months to a year to live. You live in denial. But when she was first hospitalized and were told how sick she was, Pastor Chuck came in. She had stage four, already shut down one kidney, already metastasized to the lungs. And she said, Chuck, looks like I'm going to see Jesus before you will. Chuck had been diagnosed with leukemia some couple years before that. And there were treatments. There were good days and bad days with those treatments. Encouraging times, discouraging times. And then there was one day that we claimed healing. We sat in our TV room, Bonnie and myself and my oldest daughter, and we watched somebody praying and saying, God's bringing to mind someone with kidney cancer, and I'm here to say they've been healed. And they paused, and they said, no, it's not just kidney cancer. It's kidney cancer and lung cancer, and she's been healed. We claimed it, folks. We claimed her healing, and it didn't happen. And I had to learn afresh Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though he slay me, says Job, I will trust in him. And I'm still learning things. Isaiah 57, God brought this passage to me a couple months after Bonnie's passing. And Isaiah 57, 1 and 2, says that a person who is who passes away, is spared from the angst and the bad stuff that they have to face, that they would have had to face in this world. Genesis 20, chapter 5, verse 24, 
Enoch walked with God and was not. He was taken away by God. Enoch lived one-third the years that his grandson lived. It was a blessing. He walked with God and God took him. Psalm 116 verse 15. From God's perspective it says, Blessed in the eyes of God is the death of those who love him. Now, when we sign up for marriage, we don't really consciously think of the fact that logically one is going to attend the funeral of the other. One of the last people that Bonnie saw when she was really sharp was her college roommate. Kathy and her husband Michael came down from Minneapolis, from St. Paul. Took off in the morning drove from St. Paul to our house, spent about an hour with us, then drove back to St. Paul that night. I walked them out to the car after they had visited Bonnie. And Michael put his arms around me. Thanked me for the job that I was doing and caring for my wife. And he said, you know, when we say for richer or for poorer, we think richer. We don't hear poorer. Sickness and health, we hear health. Better or worse, we hear better. I'm told that in any presentation, one should tell the listeners what he's going to say. That's what I was going to say. Then he used to say it, and I said it. And now this video will tell you what I said. <laughs> 